Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. I want to welcome those of you joining us online, and it's great to be with you here today. I have to say, this does feel a little bit like a walk down memory, memory lane for me. Uh, this is where it all started for me about 12 and a half years ago, back in 2009, when as a newly minted seminary grad, I came to Kansas City full-time, my first full-time pastoral role, and I was a pastoral fellow. That's what they called them back in those days. Uh, now, if you've been around Christ Community World, you know they call them pastoral residents, but back then we were the fellows, so uh, back in 2009. And this is where I cut my teeth on pastoral work, uh, reflecting back in those early days as a young pastor, you know, you take on the, the menial tasks, whatever they'll give you. I, I remember uh, shining the shoes of Pastor Tom, for instance, <laughs> getting up really early on brutally cold mornings and starting the cars of all the staff. You know, you take what you can get and do it as unto the Lord. I'm joking, of course. I'm obviously joking. Uh, this place uh, was totally awesome for me as a young pastor, as I learned the rhythms and the routines of pastoral life among such seasoned, wise leaders. Yeah, and you all, and my fellow fellows, uh, it was really great. And I just want to say, what is going on here at Christ Community Church in terms of training a new generation of pastors each year, year by year? That's really rare, and it's really special. Uh, so I want to thank you for your generosity and what this church is committed to. But all good things come to an end, and uh, they kicked me out of the nest in 2011, moved up to Madison, Wisconsin with my wife, and uh, part of a great church up there called Black Hawk, served, served for a while. And I don't know if you know this or not, but so much of what I learned here at Christ Community, I brought with me to that church in Madison. Many of you know that uh, in this place, there's this value that we talk about a lot, about connecting our faith in Christ and the way that fleshes it out, out on Monday in the various contexts of our work, whether, whether they're paid and unpaid. And more importantly, just than the pastors teaching it and writing about it, when I was a pastor, I saw so many of you live it out in such compelling ways in the real life of wherever you work and live and contribute as realtors and doctors and business leaders and managers and plumbers, whatever it would look like. And it had a huge impression uh, on me. So I spent some time in Madison uh, for four years, but then I get a call in, in 2015. And, and Tom called. I still remember I was in my upstairs uh, bedroom that was painted blue. I remember where I was. 
And Tom talked about this new organization that would be forming that would take a lot of the DNA of Christ's community and these values that we love and would help other churches equip their people uh, for the work that they do every day and start pastoral residencies like uh, the one that I had gone through. So uh, it was a no-brainer. I guess it took me a little while through prayer and discernment with my wife, but it made sense for us to come. So I'm here. In that transition period, out of pastor, being a pastor, uh, to being an executive director of a nonprofit, there was one question that I got from people as I was making that transition, one question more than any other people posed to me. They asked me, Matt, what's it like to no longer be a pastor? Do you miss it? Is it pretty different? Are you, how are you dealing with that? It's an interesting question. But what I found and what I experienced is that it didn't feel actually like such a major transition at all. Because the same skills and passions and gifts that I was using as a pastor, I was now just using in this different context, serving my team uh, at Made to Flourish in this network. I was still writing, I was still speaking, I was still motivating others. And even though my occupation had changed, my sense of vocation, my sense of calling remained the same. I was still being who God created me to be as I served others. I wonder if that's probably true for you as well. There's something about you. It's bigger than your Enneagram number or your Myers-Briggs profile. It's bigger than your job description. It's bigger than the volunteer roles that you have. Some aspect of how you uniquely contribute to the world. It's almost like an, an aroma that you carry with you wherever you go. Maybe you've noticed it. I guarantee others have noticed it about you. And maybe you can't even put it into words, but it's there. Today we're here to consider, as we look at Scripture, that something about you that is unique, that gives you joy, that's a blessing to others. And I just want you to know it's more important than you likely realize. And it's no exaggeration to say it's tied up with cosmic realities like God's mission in the world and your role in it. And it's one of the core foundations of most healthy churches. If I could sum it up in one sentence, I'd say it this way. You are uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit for God's mission. That's what we're talking about today. Some of you know we've been in the series on the Holy Spirit the past several weeks. And uh, my wife and I, uh, Tom mentioned it, but we attend the, the Brookside Campus of Christ Community, so we've been enjoying this series as well. But today we're looking at this aspect of the Holy Spirit, that he's the gift giver. We're going to be looking at the 12th chapter of the book of Corinthians that we heard read, beginning in verse 4. So if you have a Bible open or an app on your phone or something like that, I invite you to follow along. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. But before we look at the passage, I just want to set a little context. We're jumping into the middle of a conversation here, the middle of a book, uh, middle of a letter that Paul wrote. The church in Corinth is easily, in my opinion, it's easily the most dysfunctional church in the entire New Testament. Hands down. If we were to take 30 minutes and read the whole letter right now, you'd probably think, whoa, that church is messed up. While many of the other pastoral epistles uh, from Paul to other churches are warm-hearted letters of affection with maybe just a little bit of correction, almost every single chapter of this book, Paul is addressing a different dysfunction. 
In chapter 1, they're fighting and there's all this uh, division because people have these tribal identities. I follow this person. No, I follow that person. And they're being divided. In chapter 3, Paul addresses their spiritual immaturity. In chapter 5, they are taking pride and excusing sexual immorality among a family system in their church. In chapter 6, people in the church are bringing lawsuits versus one another because they're so angry at one another. Chapter 11, people are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, and the rich are coming early and kind of having a party, and there's no food left over, and those who are poor in their community come and show up, and there's nothing left over. Do you get the point? This is a mess. In fact, uh, if you were a parent of a teen going off to a different city for college, you would hope they wouldn't end up in a church like Corinth, and you'd be pretty scared if they did. It's, it's that bad. And yet, Paul loves this church. Now, on one hand, he calls them out and doesn't gloss over the painful truth of their destructive actions. And by the way, this eventually becomes a letter that's cycled through different churches. So this is kind of like airing out the dirty laundry here in this letter. By the way, you can can love a church or the church and still call out all the ways that it's acting contrary to the gospel. A church should never be so overly concerned with its image that it ignores true biblical critique when it has done wrong. But then on the other side of things, Paul's critique and his rebuke, it doesn't cause him to give up on the church. Just the opposite. He wants to see them restored. And he's about to point them to what can bring healing out of all the fighting and the toxic inward focus. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts. It's the same Spirit who distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in, in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Paul's message to the Corinthians is his message to us today. You are uniquely gifted by the Spirit for the good of others. Or as Paul says, the common good. Paul emphasizes that point, doesn't he? That that each person is gifted at least three times. In verse 6, he says that it's in everyone. And if that wasn't clear enough, in verses 7 and 11, almost like two bookends, he says that to each one a gift is given. Paul wants to make sure that we understand That when it comes to the Spirit giving out gifts to Christ followers, no one is excluded. Now, in our modern language, when we say that someone is gifted, maybe say a child is in a gifted program, what you're saying is basically the child is an outlier. That child is an anomaly. It's almost separate from all the other children. But that's exactly the opposite what Paul is saying here. God's gifting is not just for the few. It's for every person that follows Jesus because every Christ follower has the Spirit of God living inside of them. We've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, before we go any further, let me say just a few things. I want to name the fact that we all come to the conversation about gifts of the Spirit from different places. So some of us in the room right now, we probably have baggage around the language of spiritual gifts. 
Maybe you've been in a context at some point in your life uh, that's not unlike the context in Corinth, where the more miraculous sign gifts were emphasized and seen as necessary, and it was suggested maybe that it was a higher level of communion with God. And you were either burned by it or you felt it was the only thing that everyone seemed to talk about. And maybe you walked away cynical or even hurt. That probably describes some of us in the room right now. Some of us love this topic. Maybe you've tried to discern what gift God has given you and with input from others and with study and maybe you've taken an assessment. You've been able to use that gift and it's given you joy and it actually helps people. Maybe people have affirmed you in it. And I bet that's some of you here today too. Some others of us in the room right now are just a little confused. You heard the scripture read and what is Paul talking about? It kind of sounds strange. It sounds like it was another world, kind of odd. Whoever you are, I get it. We all bring our own experiences and perspectives uh, to this. So let me say just a few things, not addressing every concern or question, not even close, but hopefully answering a few of them. First, a clarification. I don't want us to get too tied to the language of spiritual gifts, if that's something that you've heard. Because it's actually not a great translation of what Paul is talking about. And the word spiritual in our modern context is so often misunderstood. Paul in this text is not introducing a special class of gifts that are spiritual as opposed to natural gifts. A better translation here might be gifts of the Spirit or gifts from the Spirit. Paul is talking about the source of the gifts not whether they are spiritual or natural. So why am I making such a big deal out of this? Once you begin using the language of gifts of the Spirit instead of spiritual gifts, you aren't confined to a narrow set of gifts that you maybe consider spiritual. And this is really important because when Paul gives a different list of the gifts in another book, the book of Romans chapter 12, he lists things like the gift of being generous or the gift of leadership the gift of serving others. He mentions the gift of being an encourager. Later on in 1 Corinthians 12, he'll list the gift of helping and the gift of giving guidance. So, let's make this practical. Let's say you know a Christ follower and they're a leader. And whenever they lead an initiative and they're helping everyone, everyone knows their part, everyone's energized by it, feels like there's, everyone's moving with momentum towards the goal, and it seems like it's a success. I don't know if you would call that spiritual or not, but I'm confident Paul would say, oh yeah, that came from the Spirit of God. Yeah, that's the gift of leadership. There's no one definitive, all-inclusive list of the gifts in Scripture, and none of the lists differentiates the spiritual ones from what we might deem are the more natural gifts. So you might say, okay, I'm tracking, but wait a second, lots of people, whether they're people of faith or not, are leaders or serve others or are generous. How do we know that it's a gift from the Spirit versus just a natural ability that someone possesses because of their training or their temperament? Well, maybe this is unsatisfying. Sorry if it is. But the Bible just isn't as clear and doesn't draw these lines as much as we'd like. But I think there is a clue in this text When Paul says in the text, you maybe saw it, that to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Did you see that? 
that word manifestation. In other words, it's an aspect of the Spirit's character that is made manifest. It's put on display. It carries His aroma. And when we exercise the gift, it bears some resemblance to how God might lead or how He might help or how He might teach or be generous. The mark of the spirit of a spirit gift then is it gives off something of the aroma of Christ. So I wonder if you've ever seen that. Have you ever seen this? For instance, maybe you know someone at church who is generous. And lots of people give away money, right? But there's something about it when they do it. There's a joy to their generosity. There's a freedom in which they release resources. There's a wisdom in how they think through their giving. There's a love that drives them and motivates them to give. There's a hopefulness about its impact. There's a faithfulness in its consistency time after time. You can't help but think their generosity has an echo of how God is generous to us. It carries His aroma. I think that's the main mark of how we might notice a spiritual gift or a gift of the Spirit. It manifests, it puts on display something of the character of God. And when you see it, it's a beautiful thing. So where do you have special affinities, skills, talents, ways that when you serve, you have joy doing it? And people seem to be helped by it. That might be an area of gifting. And don't worry, by the way, if you have no idea how you might be gifted, it's okay. That's not going to keep you back from being faithful to God. But maybe you ask someone who knows you really well and who loves you, and I bet they have an idea or two. Second, I I feel I need to address another issue in the text that we heard read earlier. Why does Paul in this text seem to emphasize what some have called the miraculous sign gifts, like speaking in tongues and gifts of healing? Well, without diving into the weeds of debate or going into a lot of detail into what each of these gifts mean, I will speak to why I think Paul seems to focus on them here in this chapter. It's my conviction that Paul is addressing them, uh, what some refer to as the miraculous sign gifts here, because the Corinthians had brought them up in a previous letter and were asking about them because they were causing contention. Surprise, surprise, right? It seems that the Corinthians were seeing them as signs of being more spiritual or more important, and it was dividing the congregation. And so throughout this chapter as you read it, Paul is offering correction. He's saying it's just wrong to focus on certain gifts and to elevate them above others. He wants them to actually be less focused on themselves and emphasizing certain gifts and more focused on everyone serving the common good. There's obviously much more I could say about that, maybe much more that you would want me to say about that. Two uh, books to jot down if you want to learn more about uh, these, these issues. One is called He Who Gives Life by Graham Cole. He Who Gives Life by Graham Cole. The second is called Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God by Gordon Fee. Both are good books. They come from different spots on that, but they're, they're, they're good. In, in all this, don't miss Paul's bigger point. As a Christ follower... You are gifted by the Holy Spirit. So pay attention to it and seek to use it for the good of others. Let's continue on in the text. Let's actually jump down to verse 12. It says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. 
And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Secondly, today, we are uniquely gifted for a diverse unity. In these verses, Paul is kind of playing tennis back and forth with two words. Maybe you saw it. One and many. Did you notice that? One body, many parts. One spirit forms us into one body, but the body is made up of many parts. It turns out that a church to be healthy needs to keep these two realities in tension. That there are many gifts on one hand and and also that we are one unified body. And you take either one of those away and you get into trouble. For instance, if we only focused on our oneness and never talked about the many diverse gifts of the body, we might be tempted to believe that everyone in the church should be exactly the same. And we might be threatened by diverse expressions of, giving, uh, of gifting and serving God. But listen, sameness is not the same as unity. And sameness is not a mark of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you can be sure, assured that whenever you see a church body or the church at large where all the people are supposed to look the same, dress the same, respond to God in the same way, do the same kinds of things, serve God in the same way, that's not a work of the Spirit. I wonder if there's some of you here who feel like you don't belong in the church. You might wonder where you fit. You might look around and say, I'm I'm not really like these people. Or do I need to be like these people? But that isn't the way that God has put his church together. We are all not the same on purpose. In fact, it is the one same spirit who brings out all of our differences. C.S. Lewis, I love the way that he puts this in, in Mere Christianity. He, gives, uh, he addresses this issue of whether if, if we all have the same spirit, are we all going to look the same? And he says, imagine you, you know someone who's never tried salt. They never use it on any of their food. They don't know anything about it. And they come and visit you and you say, you've got to try this. And you give them a spoonful of salt and they taste it. And they almost pucker up because it's so bitter, it's so pungent, it's so strong. Uh, you, you know, it just kind of hits them over the head. And then you say, oh, by the way, in our country, we put that stuff on all of our food. We put it on our potatoes, we put it on our vegetables, we put it on our meat, we put it on everything. The person might say, first of all, that's disgusting. Uh, Everything is going to taste like salt. You're going to ruin all the food and it's all going to taste the same. But of course, we know the exact opposite is true, don't we? That when you put on salt on food, it actually brings out its unique flavor. And the food needs that salt to do it so that it's unique. It's the same with the Spirit of God and Christ in us. He takes whoever we are and with the empowerment of the Spirit, actually that brings out and draws out our unique characteristics to serve the body in diverse ways. Now on the other hand, if you're focused on all the many parts, all this diversity that we just talked about, but you never thought about how we were one, how we were united you might start thinking that we don't need each other. You might get really possessive about your gifts and that it has to be kind of expressed and you're jockeying for position. And that is what Paul addresses here because he's concerned that some of the gifts of the church are being honored and and emphasized, but these other ones are being totally forgotten about. So to address it, Paul tells a joke. I don't know if you heard it earlier when when they were reading the text, but he starts talking about how what would it look like about the body parts talking to one another? 
if the hand talked to the foot and the foot talked to the hand and said, I don't need you. Or, uh, you know, the, the eyes talking to the ear saying that it doesn't need it. By the way, I love this picture of, of the body parts talking to one another, <laughs> duking it out, who's more important. Can you imagine this? I mean, let's, let's just stay there for a second. Can you imagine sev- several of our bodily organs just sort of having a council meeting on who's the most important? I can sort of hear the brain opening up the discussion. All right, everybody, uh, as the brain, let me call this meeting to order. That's what I do around here. I'd like to start by reminding you of uh, my more than symbolic presence at the top of the body where I belong. I send you all the directions that guide your moves constantly. You probably don't even know it, but I think we can all agree that I'm the brains of this operation. Then the heart speaks up. Excuse me, uh, brain, this is all pretty insulting. Let me remind you that you could be brain dead and I would still be beating keeping this body alive. I hope I don't need to remind you all organs that about 70 times a minute, I send you exactly what you need through the blood to keep living. Shut me off and you're all dead. Then the lungs pipe in. Uh, You might be forgetting, heart, that I'm the one giving you the oxygen in the first place to be pumping to the entire body. Shut me off and your pumping is useless. All your little oxygen packages, yeah, they come from me. Then another organ speaks up kind of sheepishly. Hey, guys, sort of blend in here. In fact, a lot of people don't even think that I'm an organ. But I felt I should remind you all that as the skin, I'm really the one who covers and protects every single one of you. You all work and do your work because I'm out here doing battle, keeping things from coming into the body. So the next thing, the next time you feel like you're doing your job well, yeah, it's because I first did mine. Now, obviously, that's ridiculous, right? With something as complex and intertwined as our bodies, it's pretty silly to think that one organ does all the work or the most important work. They each play a vital role, yes, but they're all connected and dependent upon one another. Now look around the room. God has put together his body. Some people are more in the limelight, some are more behind the scenes. Some can tend to be forgotten, but each of you is more vital than you realize because the same God who designed the human body with all its diversity and complexity has a similar purpose for the body of Christ. So hold your head up high and raise your chin. Your role in the body of Christ is vital. And never forget that you are united to all the people around you who are so different from you. And their role is vital too. It's one of the reasons why at Christ Community Church we have this liturgy that we do from time to time called This Time Tomorrow, where we invite one of you up and one of the pastor interviews you and literally says, what are you doing this time tomorrow? Like say around 10 a.m. And you give a picture of the day in the life of your work or volunteering or whatever that looks like for you. And then the pastor asks questions like, where does it give you joy to serve God in that space? And uh, how do you serve others and show them love uh, in that space? And how do you notice the brokenness and the fallenness of the world in there? I imagine you see a lot of that where you are. And then how can we pray for you? You might wonder why we do that. It's just a small little way that as this local church, we've tried to address this topic that all of you, every follower of Jesus has a role to play in God's mission in the world. And you're part of the body of Christ wherever you serve. But wait a second. You might be saying, Some of you might be wondering how I got that application from this text. 
Isn't Paul here talking about people within the church doing churchy things at the worship service? What does all this gifting talk have to do with our day jobs or our contribution in the world, whether paid or unpaid? That brings us to the final message I don't want us to miss. We are uniquely gifted for mission on Sunday and Monday. God's gifting is not only for a tiny little slice of your life. Why would I say that? Or more importantly, where do I get that? Well, while we might acknowledge that the most immediate and most obvious context of this passage is the church and the worshiping community, there are a few hints even in this text that Paul's addressing something much bigger than the gifts used inside the church to serve fellow church members. First of all, Paul is talking about the entire body, every single person. And we know that when Paul has talked about the body and the gifts elsewhere in places like Romans 12, he has all sorts of gifts in mind, many of which are not usually or primarily expressed in the worship gathering. So what are these gifts for? Are they for Sunday only or are they for Monday as well? Are they reserved for the church functions or do they apply to and are to be used in all of life, wherever we're living and working? Well, to answer that question, we have to zoom out to God's bigger story about gifts in the Bible. And when we do, we see that throughout the Bible, God gives gifts to both serve his people and the world. And that starts from the very beginning of the story. Now hang with me for just a second here. God, you'll remember that God's answer to the fall in Genesis 3 was to start a family through Abraham, the people of God, the nation of Israel, through whom redemption would come to the whole world. God spoke that promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, when he said, I will bless you and I'll make you a blessing to all nations. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. So there's both God's gift of a blessing to his people, Israel, but the blessing is never contained. His gifts are meant to spread to all nations. And how does that story of Genesis culminate as you move toward the end? The largest block of narrative in Genesis is the story of a man named Joseph. And Joseph is gifted by God, crazy gifted. He's blessed. He can interpret dreams. And this gift to interpret dreams leads him to recognize that God is sending a seven-year drought on this land. And if they don't do something, many people are going to die. Joseph also has another gift. He is really, really gifted at administration and leadership. And so he does a building program to like store grain for seven years and he maps out how everyone's going to have their jobs and dole out food so that not a single person dies during this great famine and people are saved. And now Egypt, this pagan nation, is blessed through the gifting of Joseph. And God's people are saved through the gifting of Joseph. And we hear that echo from Genesis 12, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing to all nations. We could trace that theme through the entire Bible. God gifts his children for the benefit of his people, yes, but also for the benefit of the world. Do you know what that means? It means that you are gifted by God and yes, that, he has, that has a role in this community, but it also is meant to bless the world in the places you are scattered Monday through Saturday, wherever you're working and contributing.
So what does that look like in practice? Let me give just one example. Let's say you're a merciful and compassionate person. And we're all supposed to be merciful and compassionate, but, but there's something about you. There's a tenderness that you have that is genuine. People in hardship, when they're going through hard times, they feel comforted by your presence. And when you've gotten involved in church, when someone loses their job or has a loved one who is sick, you see it. Your mind starts going on and on about what can be done to actually bring meaningful help. But then you're at work and a colleague's father passes away. It's you who has a tender word. It's you who rallies the staff to provide an expression of sympathy. And it's you who, when everyone else is long done mourning weeks afterwards, you're still checking up on that person and seeing how they're doing. See, it's a gift of mercy. Out there, showing something of the mercy and compassion of God to a world that so desperately needs it. You are gifted for mission by the Spirit of God on Sunday, yes, and on Monday, Take a look at this video. I'm just a florist. Got a small shop, nothing special. Silly way to spend your life, I guess, fussing with a bunch of flowers. Sometimes I wish I was good at something else. I don't know, a doctor or a missionary, someone who really helps people. But I do love flowers. I always had a knack for it. So I do my best to make them beautiful for people. But I know flowers can't change the world. I know I don't make much of a difference. I'm just a florist. God, by His Spirit, is wonderfully able to gift you for His mission in the world, and it's true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we remember and consider and believe that by Your Spirit, You've gifted us. And maybe we don't even know all what that means, but I ask that maybe even in this morning, You'd stir 
something up in each of our hearts, reminding us, encouraging us, the ways we might uniquely represent you to this church community and also a world that is so hurting, so broken. I think you might be pleased to do that, so please do it among us and in us for your glory. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.